Welcome to the Florida Divorce Podcast, your source for the information you need to successfully get through your divorce and into the next exciting chapter of life. Now, here's your host, Attorney Scott Kalish. Hey, everybody. My name is Attorney Scott Kalish. I am a divorce and family law attorney here in South Florida. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Jason Soman. He's a forensic accountant here in South Florida. He helps a lot of family lawyers. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, Jason. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the podcast. Happy to be back here with you uh, talking about Florida divorce. Of course, of course. And Today, we spoke before you know, jumping on the air here, right? If we can call it the air, right? It's kind of weird to say, but talking about business valuations and, and how businesses play a role in a divorce case, right? And specifically how they're handled in a divorce case. And just for everyone listening, right? If you're the owner of a small business and it was um, a business that you started or you know increase the value of like during the marriage then it's probably going to play a role in your divorce case right Jason Absolutely so business is kind of just like any other asset and businesses could be very small it could be a lemonade stand or it could be a multi-billion dollar corporation so depending on what type of business it is it could really impact a Florida divorce in many ways and oftentimes and I'm sure you see this a lot a lot of times people, a lot of wealth that they have in terms of their marital net worth is tied up in a business. So these are pretty important issues in a divorce case. And depending on what the value is could really change the outcome of what's ultimately the spouse, one or both the spouses walk away with. Sure. And I think, you know, at least from a legal perspective and in a divorce perspective, usually the issue lies in the valuation of the business. That's usually where the dispute is. The person that I think is looking to keep the business is usually saying it's worth a lot less than the person that wants to get their you know interest paid, right? That wants to get paid out for, for their half, let's say, if it's a totally marital business. Would you think that, you know, would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. So unlike a publicly traded corporation, a privately held company, I can't call up Fidelity and sell my stock in a couple of days. I don't know what it's really worth. So what we do is we specialize in privately held business valuation, which is it's actually a pretty in-depth process to do a business valuation of a privately held company because we are trying to measure something that is there's no readily ascertainable market for. So, you know, we undergo a thorough valuation process. We have to look at a host of qualitative factors, you know, how the business is run, the business's reputation, customer concentration, and try to assess the risks of the business. And we're also trying to look at what kind of cash flow the business has, what types of assets they have, things of that nature. I'm happy to talk about like yeah. in more specifics. Sure. So like just to give people like a visual of exactly what we're talking about, like, right, like, for example, you know, husband and wife, maybe they own a, a dry cleaning business, right? You can't just go to like, you know, the MLS of, of businesses and, and, you know, look at what your average dry cleaning, you know, business is selling for, right? It's not as simple or straightforward as, as doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So as business valuation professionals, you know, in addition to being a forensic accountant, I'm also have credentials in business valuation. And as I'll go over, there's a lot of interplay between the two. So it's not as kind of, it, it they kind of go together as complementary skills. But 
generally speaking, any business, any asset, there's three ways to value it. Okay, let's walk through them. Sure. So one way you could value it is you could look at the income, you know, the what cash flow or future economic benefit is going to be realized by owning this asset. So if you own this dry cleaning business and this dry cleaning business generates $300,000 in profit every year, we may value the business looking at what the profit is expected to be on a going forward basis. And then we determine what that is worth today. And and what that is called is the income approach. And when you have the income approach, is there like a specific time that you're like looking at it for? Like, for instance, if someone had dry cleaning business, right, they planned on owning it for the next 30 years and it makes $300,000, you know, a year, I mean, mm-hmm. would that play like into your valuation overall? Sure. So a business valuation, just the, the way that the theory works is sure. that we're valuing this kind of into perpetuity. Okay. And business valuation as a subject and also business valuation in Florida divorce law could kind of be two different things. But generally speaking, we're valuing this into perpetuity, right? Because let's say I sell this 10 years from now, you know, whoever's buying it will operate it. And then, you know, there's, there's an assumption that it's the, these cash flows are going to go into perpetuity. And the way that it works is, is we determine what the present worth of those cash flows are in the future today. Based on looking at what? Well, we assess the risks. So, you know, if it's a sure thing that you're going to get the $300,000 next year, you know, the business is going to be worth more than if it's very uncertain, right? Like if you're selling something that, you know, they're kind of selling, I give the perfect example, I think right after, right when COVID-19 started, everyone was like in the business of selling masks, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Obviously that ended relatively, you know, soon, you know, yeah, shortly after the pandemic started. I mean, Depends on where you live, but, but I mean, I think suffice it to say, you go out in public right now in 2023, not many people are wearing masks anymore. Absolutely. So if, if let's say my dry cleaner, for example, my only client was Kalish and Jaggers and I just yeah. only dry cleaned your guy's stuff, that's yeah. a lot riskier than if I have that business spread across many different uh, areas. You know, some other sure. things to consider are, you know, regulation. Are they going to crack down on dry cleaners and enact all these certain laws? Yeah. Um, and the risk is really you know, the way that we calculate risk is we look to the public markets, right? And then we kind of, what we do is we call, we build up the risks. So first we look, okay, well, what is the risk of investing in a treasury security? That's what we call a risk-free investment. So that's, you know, a few percentage points. I mean, I know they've changed a lot recently. Sure. Um, then it's the risk of investing in equity markets. And then we look at the risk of investing in smaller types of equities, right? But a business like a dry cleaner is going to be even more risky even beyond that. Yeah. Right? Sure. So what we do is using the income approach, we'll look at what the earnings are expected to be or what they and, – and a lot of times we base what they're expected to be based on what they are historically, right? right? So like Fantastic. let's say the business did – 400,000 in profit, 300, 200, 400, you know, maybe 300 is a good proxy in that example. So what we'll do is we'll look at what the cash flows are going to be and then what's the risk of achieving those cash flows. There are subjectivities, right? Because two different business valuation people could have two different assessments of risk. There's almost unlimited risk factors. You know, one of them could also be like someone who really runs the business. It's all tied up in in one person. And that's that's an issue of could be an issue potentially of personal goodwill. And then the next way to value a business is what we call the market approach. So in the market approach, we look at 
transactions of other dry cleaners, right? Like I may be able to find transactions using databases that business valuation analysts have where I may be able to find enough comparable transactions of dry cleaners or maybe in this instance there might be businesses that are kind of ancillary to dry cleaners that may also be able to be used as guidelines. Sure. When um, you say like comparable transactions, you mean by like, hey, kind of like pulling comps in the real Exactly. Market? That's like the equivalent of looking at, you know, the MLS and seeing what things sold for price per square foot. But with the business, there is, you know, what they call a multiple, right? So if the business sold for three times profit, that's a three times multiple. So sometimes I might sometimes industries my understanding is sometimes industries have like standard like just multiple common multiples that like those businesses will sell for like if it's an engineering firm or if it's a law firm or maybe an accounting practice Mm -hmm. is that your understanding yes so i i think it depends i think it it really depends on the business you know the growth of the business and you know when we evaluate what type of multiple is the appropriate multiple mm-hmm. it's really kind of a similar analysis of risk as what we spoke about before yeah. you know a company that's growing really fast may demand a higher multiple right if you see a company that's you know a dry cleaning company that's doing 100,000 in profit 200 300 400 you know that's going to look better than something that's just been doing 300 i mean it, it all depends and it's it's very hard sometimes to talk in absolutes cuz Every case is so different. Yeah. There's facts and circumstances at play. And then the last way to value a business is the asset approach. So like an asset approach is it really what we're saying with an asset approach is these are the market value of the assets. This is the market value of the liabilities. And that's kind of what you we're say, saying is the say, business. So when you look at a business, business's assets, what specifically are you looking for? So, you know, let's use a dry clean example, right? So we may look at the cash account. We may look at, I mean, I don't think a dry cleaner has receivables, maybe, but, you know, we may look at the the dry cleaning machines themselves. What are those worth? What security deposits do they have? And then we may look at liabilities. Do they have a mortgage on anything or, or credit cards or things like that? So the asset approach is a good method sometimes with like a real estate holding company or, or, Something that doesn't derive most of its value from earnings or profits, but more is a heavy asset intensive business. So the asset approach could also be looked at as like a floor value, right? Like, what do you mean by a floor value? That's a good question. So, like, my dry cleaner cannot, like, I don't think it would be appropriate to say that the dry cleaner is worth less dead than alive. Yeah, yeah. So like the if you have a cash account machinery, like you can't say, OK, well, the comps are giving me a value of a million, but the assets are worth a million and a half. Like if you own that dry cleaner, you're not going to sell it for less than a million and a half because you could literally close the dry cleaner and sell the assets. Yeah, and, and the assets. And exactly. Out. So that's like literally when you say the floor, that's like the, the least amount that it's going to be valued at. Generally speaking, of course, there's there's outliers. exceptions and outliers and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned something before about personal goodwill. Mm -hmm. And I, as a, you know, practicing family law attorney, have heard that term before. And can you kind of explain to the audience exactly like what personal goodwill is and how it relates to business valuations? Sure. So let me just explain the concept of personal goodwill. So personal goodwill at its face is the reputation and skill of an individual, right? So 
the complexities of valuing a business and divorce is I think the best examples are like law firms or accounting firms, right? Like or doctors too, or right? doctors. Exactly. So like, is, is there a business value to Kalish and Jaggers or is it really just Scott Kalish? Sure. Um, I, so- I think people, you know, know the doctor example the best because everyone has a doctor. Everyone's mm-hmm. been to a doctor. Some people have never been to an accountant per se, or mm-hmm. maybe they use TurboTax or maybe they use, you know, you know, whatever, right? Um, like, like, a you know, tax service that's not an accountant, you know, maybe, maybe they never hired a lawyer, but like everyone's had a doctor. So let's, let's say like Dr. Brown or, or in, on Main Street in wherever America, right? People go to Dr. Brown for a reason because they like him. They know him. They trust him. He's been the family doctor, let's say for, for 10 years. But if Dr. Brown all of a sudden decided to, you know, pack up his office and move somewhere or sell his practice to, to somebody else. You have no no idea who that is. Like, would you go to Dr. Brown? Is that how personal goodwill works? Yeah. So, I, I mean, first, I also should – I'd yeah. be remiss if I didn't explain the concept of goodwill, right? Sure, so, sure. so, like, using the dry cleaning example, let's say valuing it under the income approach, I came up with a value of a million dollars. And then I look at the assets of the dry cleaner, and the assets of the dry cleaner are only $500,000. Yeah. So, that $500,000 difference – in value is what we'll call goodwill. And what that is, that's intangible value, right? That's the fact that it's not just assets. It's there's other intangible assets there that are able to take the dry cleaning machines and turn them into more value, right? But then the issue is under Florida law and other states as well, the personal nature of the goodwill is not a distributable marital asset, right? Like you shouldn't well, this is what Florida law says is like you shouldn't have to pay your spouse for value that is you, right? Like that's not an asset that could be distributed. So that's really the concept. So then the question becomes is, okay, so this dry cleaner has $500,000 of total goodwill. Yeah. How much of that is goodwill attributable to the owner of the dry cleaner? Like maybe there's of someone that knows really well, you know, how to run this business and it's all tied up in them. Or maybe it's just someone that like is the face of the business. And like when you walk in the door, you're greeted with like a big smile and, and it, it's like the, the, you know, whatever, the most friendly dry cleaning guy ever. And you just <laughs> yeah. enjoy going and drop dry cleaning off, right? Yeah. I mean, it would probably be in reality and, yeah. and it would probably be unlikely where a dry cleaner would be a hundred percent personal goodwill. I mean, you see it all the time with lawyers, accountants, doctors, right? Yeah. But then the other side of the spectrum, like trusted, because like a service, they're they're a trusted professional. Yeah, and it's based on the skill and the reputation. That's why people are are coming they're there, right? To that person. Because then it's like you know and the experience too. I mean, it's absolutely with lawyers. If one particular lawyer, right, has a ton of experience doing, you know, a type of case, right. Obviously, he's going to be more valuable than another attorney that that doesn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you also have to keep in mind that if you don't have a non-compete, right? So the way that it works, in in my understanding from speaking to attorneys and and judges and reading some of the cases, is you can't – a Florida judge is not going to force someone to sign a non-compete, right? So it's like the question then becomes is what is the value of Kalish and Jaggers if Scott Kalish goes across the street and opens up a new law firm. So I think these are kind of the issues that we really have to analyze. And it really kind of comes, it's a good interplay between legal and valuation because, you know, the valuation is one thing, but then it's like, okay, well, how much of that valuation is attributable to the hard assets, the cash, the furniture, the equipment? 
And then how much is it attributable to the enterprise? And then how much is it attributable to the individual? Um, so this could be a complicated process. And, and a lot of times it's absolute, right? Like if you own a real estate investment, it doesn't really matter. If, like if you're not involved with running the property or something like that, that, that could be, it doesn't depend on the skill of an individual. It's kind of just holding an investment. And then the other side is like a doctor or a lawyer. So it's really, those tend to be more black and white. In my experience, it's the ones where there's an in-between, right? Like a 10-person law firm, like that might have some value to the actual institution. Sure. Like you just, the name of the firm can just have. Exactly. There's, There's law firms out there now where the name on the front door, that person's been gone for a very long time. Yeah. So that's going to be a different dynamic than a firm that's, you know, a solo practitioner. Sure. I can imagine that this is a very gray area in what you do, and and there could be definitely a difference in opinion, right? Yes. So a lot of times with professional practices in the state of Florida, what ends up happening is we'll turn to the asset approach, right? Because we may say, okay, well, a lot of the intangible value right here is tied up in this individual. So then what, what does that leave the business, right? It leaves us with with a law firm example, right? It leaves us with cash. It leaves us with receivables, less the debt. And I think that's typically how professional practices and let's call it high goodwill businesses, high personal goodwill businesses operate around here in terms of divorce. You know, there's all shades of gray. So, you know, it's hard to really give absolutes, but there's uh, things could definitely be complicated and there could be potentially millions of dollars at stake. And a lot of times, when we're doing a business valuation, there may be a competing business valuation on the other side. And it may be a matter of, well, whose opinion is better supported, whose opinion is is more credible. And if the case doesn't settle, sometimes what will happen is you'll have two dueling valuation experts. A lot of times, though, clients may hire us as a neutral where we work for both sides and we will value the business and we'll share our conclusions. And potentially, if one of them wants to challenge it, maybe they'll get their own. So, I mean, there could be one to three valuation professionals in any divorce case. And I mean, it happens all the time, as you could imagine. It happens a lot where, you know, the side that owns the business will say that it's not worth that much. And the other side will say that it's worth a lot more than that. Then the issue comes in and where, where the forensic accounting comes into play is... A lot of times people are saying, well, you know, we were talking about the dry cleaning, the 300000 in profit, right? Well, it's like, well, I don't think that 300000 in profit is really 300000 You know, they got a, a paramour or they're funneling money somewhere else. So, they're like, maybe their, their personal expenses. They're paying their personal expenses. I mean, personal expenses is very common. Like, even yeah. the most straight shooting people, like, have a cell phone that's, you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. paying car insurance, car insurance, yeah. something, or maybe it's just a mistake, Food. right? They take out their, their credit card. And we also, as valuation and forensic professionals get into these, I'll call it debates, right? Where it's like, okay, well, that's really a business expense. That's not really a business expense. So that's why this valuation and the forensic accounting goes so into play, right? Because what whatever the earnings are, whatever the assets are, that's really relevant in evaluation, right? Because we look at earnings and we look at multiples of earnings yeah. and we look at assets. So to the extent that any of those numbers, you know, the valuation is only half the equation, the inputs are the other half. So a lot of times we're what we call looking under the hood 
of the business to really get at what the true earnings are, what are the true assets. And that could be a very complicated thing to answer sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we're able when we're working for the spouse that doesn't have the money or access to the business, you know, sometimes we're able to find significant stuff that really moves the needle. And sometimes it just also looks bad, you know, like if this person's kind of that sometimes you're able to gain leverage that way where it's like, okay, well, they didn't disclose that we found all this stuff and it increased the value X dollars. And I'd say like one of my favorite parts of being a forensic and valuation professional is really being able to kind of take the numbers and really dig a little deeper into them and find out like what's really going on. Because when I'm working for the non-titled spouse, obviously there's a cost benefit to us digging But if I'm able to really spend some time, be thoughtful, do a lot of due diligence, look under the books and records, really get to know the business and increase the value for our client, like that's very rewarding, right? Because I feel like I'm able to add a tremendous amount of value. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't, it's always hard to kind of promise, you know, you can't, the problem is, is sometimes you don't know going in like, oh, if I spend this amount of time, I'm going to find X, but, uh, you know, we try to take a common sense approach into into how we dig and and look under the hood with these valuations because uh, you know sometimes what we could do is we'll we'll say hey let, let's just like if you suspect that something happened maybe we'll just like kind of look at some things all right and maybe we'll do like a little test and then maybe if we find some stuff in the test we'll kind of take it to the next step because sure. things could be a rabbit hole especially when you're. You know, it's not like you're dealing with someone's personal finances. When you're dealing with a business's finances, like there's a lot more stuff there, right? There's a lot of transactions. There's a lot of money going around. There's a lot of activity. If you were talking to, let's say, the titled spouse, right? When I say titled spouse, you kind of use the term. I think it's a great term. The spouse that has the business, that's operating the business, right? Would you offer them any piece of advice if they were considering hiring like a business valuator? Yeah, I mean, I would just always say I'm a big proponent of just being honest, right? Because like if you try to hide stuff or you try to get cute or you're trying to like things get expensive, right? And, you know, sometimes when you're on the side of the titled spouse, people get, you know, annoyed, right? Because there may be another forensic and valuation professional that's trying to turn over every stone. And I have cases like that now where it's like, you know, I'm working for the business owner and they're asking about, uh, you know, a hundred dollar charge that, but it, but sometimes it's not about the money, right? It's about like the, the cleaning fact- lady, like, like, like they see like maybe a check that goes to the, to like some cleaning lady, right? For, I don't know, once a month, they want to know like, you know, all of the information about that, maybe something like that. Like, well, yeah, but it's also like if there's a paramour involved, right? Like even if it's a yeah. hundred bucks and yeah. it's not going to change the valuation, like sometimes people let their well, emotions get the best of them. And, you know, sometimes you just got to take a step back and say, okay, well, is this really going to move yeah. the valuation? Is this really going to change things? How about if you were talking to the non-titled spouse, right? The spouse that's not controlling the business, would you offer them any advice? Yeah, I would. This or? Yeah, I mean, I think that for the non-titled spouse, I think I would like to pay attention, right? Like, I think you probably know more than you think you do. Because I think a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. Like we don't typically just go digging incidentally. Usually there's a suspicion, right? Oh, he or she always pulled out the corporate Amex or, you know, I always saw them, 
you know, when we went on family vacations, they would pull out the, the corporate Amex. So, you know, if you're thinking about getting divorced and you're not, you don't have a lot of knowledge of the finances, just start paying attention. Start thinking about like, how are things being paid? What's being paid from the business? What's being paid personally? So I think that would be my advice for a non-titled spouse. And my also advice would be is sometimes it doesn't, doesn't pay to chase everything. You know, sometimes there's value to moving on or seeing the forest for the trees. Sure. And I'd probably say that that goes with almost any divorce issue, even non-business valuation related. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's a great piece of advice. I think I think that's it. We can wrap up. I, I think this is an incredibly valuable episode. I think people with businesses and people without businesses, right, you know, if their spouses. If your spouse is operating the business, I'm sure they've you know um, gained a tremendous amount of knowledge and kind of understand at least what the playing field looks like in this area of of divorce. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Uh, yes, thank you for having me, Scott. And also, I, I forgot to mention what what else I think is also important to keep in mind is, sure. is like these privately held businesses sometimes yeah. they're illiquid, right? Yeah. Or almost all the time they're illiquid. So like, or a certain like. Certain amount of them are, are liquid. Obviously, yeah. the cash accounts that's liquid, but <laughs> you know if they have equipment or if they have trucks or something. Yeah, so you you know you may not be able to. Let's say you have a a marital estate worth a million two, right? And the business is a million dollars out of that million two. It's like, yeah. well, where am I going to get the money to pay out the five hundred? So like that could also create an issue where it's like I can't take it from the business, right? Because I need those trucks, I need that cash in order True. to run the business. So to pay the yeah, to pay it to out. pay it out. So sometimes that creates complexities as it relates to the business being split because it's like, okay, well the business is worth this and that's based on analysis and theory and inputs and so on and so forth. But it's like, okay, well, how are we going to pay it? So that that opens up a whole nother issue and you know, maybe that's a good topic for another episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I'll have to have you on again, which I know I will. Um, it's always a good time and you know, we always, you know, I think uh get a tremendous amount of information when you come on. So I really appreciate you coming on. If people, you know, want to hear more from you, wh- where should they go? So uh listen to the Florida Divorce Podcast. I we have an episode, you know, a couple previous of episode. previous episodes. Yeah. Um, and you could visit us at www.divorceforensicaccountant.com. We talk about business valuation, forensic accounting, divorce. You'll see Scott. He comes on our podcast. We have a yeah. podcast called Find the Money Podcast. And uh, we're shooting another one in a couple of weeks. And Scott was a guest previously on two episodes. So uh, if you'd like to hear more from Scott, you could find them there as well awesome awesome well no thank you guys for listening and thank you again jason for coming on um if you guys have a question for me feel free to send me an email my email is uh, scott at kjlawfla.com again scott at kjlawfla.com and we're also in that facebook group together right yeah yeah, yeah. also there's a facebook group yeah that's something that we're we're trying to promote trying to start a uh, divorce you know info and support group on facebook if you guys are interested in joining that to get more you know, divorce knowledge and information, feel free to go to the show notes wherever you're listening and click on that link and ask to join the group. Something that we're just you know, starting now and getting off the ground. So definitely join us. I think it'll be a good uh, good experience for everybody. I think they're going to get um, a tremendous amount of value there. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Florida Divorce Podcast. To learn the 10 secrets behind every successful divorce, visit floridadivorcepodcast.com. If you'd like Scott's help in your divorce case, 
go to kjlawfla.com. 